Welcome to the Berkey Guide Podcast, which is brought to you by Pioneer Midwest Race Wax Service. Now you have a lot to worry about before the Berkey. You have to train, but not too much, and travel, but not too much, and pick up your bib, and not to pick up too many, and eat pasta, but not too much, and bring two gels, but not too many, and dilute your Gatorade, but not too much, and wax your skis, and bring wind bruce, and you can't have enough of those on a cold day, and all sorts of other things. And this is mostly up to you, but hauling the wax up and dealing with all the wax is a lot of work the night before. And maybe get that mask for your friend who works at the hospital, and maybe it's good to keep out coronavirus, but is it really going to work on wax particulates? Let me tell you, you got to use a race wax service like Pioneer Midwest, you don't have to worry about it. You don't have to bring up your wax, you don't have to worry about what kind of wax and whether you have the right one. They're going to do it for you. They have more wax, they have better equipment, they know what they're doing. It's, it's a great service. Um, Pioneer Midwest is offering Berkey Eyed Podcast listeners $5 off their race wax service if you use the code podcast. So go to pioneermidwest.com and sign up and put in podcast. You get money off. We find out that you're listening to the uh, podcast. And today we're actually going to be talking to Matt Leach, who owns Pioneer Midwest. And not just because he runs a shop and waxes skis and he's you know, help me out with the podcast, um, but also because he's a pretty darn good skier and he actually once sold me a pair of classic boots. I won't mention one because it will divulge both of our respective ages, but they served me well until a couple years ago I put them on a heater to dry out and they melted. So, such is life. Welcome to the Berkey Guide podcast. Today we're talking to Matt Leibsch. Matt Leibsch is a jack-of-all-trades, skiing-wise anyway. He's a top Berkey skier. He's won the race. He was third last year. Um, I am going to apologize to him again that we tried to to record something with him and Akio and Brian uh, last year and had a bunch of technical difficulties, which was a learning experience for your, your trusted podcaster. Um, but we're back. We're going to do it well this time. And we're actually going to talk a lot about wax because I feel like wax is a, it's something that everyone talks about. Everyone stresses out about all the time. It's something that um, is changing this year a lot with the advent of no four, 4.0 bands and no 4.0 waxes and all these different things. It's not just buy the most 4.0s you can and snort them or throw them on your skis or whatever. So I'm going to ask him some about that. And then we're just going to talk about the Berkey a bit. Um, so thanks for uh, taking the time today, Matt. Yeah, no, thanks for having me on. It's uh, it's awesome to talk to you and catch up, and I I love the Berkey and all things Berkey-related, so I'm super excited to share what I know and, and uh, give some insight and advice where I can, because I've done it the uh, the right way, and I've also done the Berkey the wrong way many times, so <laughs> I try to just steer people in the right direction so they can have their, their best Berkey. So what was the right way you've done the Berkey? The right way I've done the Berkey is get the re- uh, wax right, um, choose the right ski, make sure all my feeds are in place and I actually get the handoff correct and then uh, pace well but also uh, uh, read the brakes and how the race is uh, coming together as it goes because I've had other Berkeys where I probably should have won but I just used up all my matches when I didn't need to so a lot of years the Berkey is very bike race and tactical and uh, like Tad Elliott is great at that because he raced bikes for a long, long time and can read brakes and all that good stuff. And I've um, gotten better at it. But uh, 
a lot of my younger days when I was fitter than I am now, I just missed opportunities because I skied like an idiot. <laughs> and you won the race back in 2008, 2009, what year, what, 2011, one, one of those years. What, what, when was that? Yeah. Yeah, I was, I won it in 2009. I was second in 2012 and then I was third last year and I've been anywhere as far back as 38th place and, uh, and so everywhere in between, so... And 38th, that's probably when there's a big pack of 20 guys who finished all together and you just weren't on the front of that or something like that. Yeah, I think that was actually, I think, my second Berkey, and I just chose the wrong ski and had really bad wax, and it was wet, new snow, kind of like last year. And I just, I ended up V1-ing every uphill and V1-ing down most of the downhills, too. And the, the guys up front probably didn't. And you still came 38th, which isn't, isn't too bad. And last year yeah, you were yeah. third and you were a part of a pack that finished uh, right up with three guys right at the top. How was that experience? That was exciting and fun. I um, uh, I skied, the Brian made the break at double O just to make, just to win the, the cash premium at double O and he had a big gap and I, he turned around and, and uh, saw he had a huge gap so he kept skiing hard and I, I read that and I was like, well, shoot, I'm going to. I better get up there with Brian because he's going. Someone's going to get up there and go with him. So the only guys that were able to bridge up to him was uh, me and Akio, and the three of us got together and, and uh, kind of traded off the lead and kept that separation all the way to the end. And we had a exciting sprint down Main Street. I gave up after a little bit. I, I wasn't feeling super awesome in the second, um, in the last third of the race. I suffered a whiplash concussion from an auto accident about uh, right after the Super Tour in Minneapolis, so I was not not feeling great in my brain, so I probably shouldn't have raced the Berkey, but I was very fit, so I was just ended up getting on the start line. It means you've made the podium first, second, third place over the course of the last 10 years, which is, I think, uh, for longevity, if any, nothing else, is pretty good, and Akio's a young gun, so you sort of had to let him win. Yeah, exactly. Well, I was hoping Brian could have won it, because he hasn't before, but uh, I, I, I was able to witness those guys sprint it out. I wish I could have done, but I, I shut down with... With 400 meters ago, I was, I was, I was, I was done. <laughs> Watching it from behind, it's always uh, a little disheartening to watch the other guys ski ahead, but uh, still probably fun to be the first ones down Main Street. Oh yeah, it's it was super exciting. I had a great, it was a great Berkey last year. In addition to skiing, you have gotten into the ski industry. What has your journey been to go from skier to person working in the ski industry? How has that worked for you? Uh, so I, yeah, a little background, I just, I went to the U of M for electrical engineering, worked at Honeywell and Sour Danfoss, uh, quality control and production engineer, uh, production support engineer. And, uh, um, I got into, well, I got into retail, actually, the, the store that I, I'm a part owner of, uh, Pioneer Midwest right now, but I worked for the previous owners when I was in college. And so they thought since I was a fast skier that I knew how to fit skis. So they just threw me in. <laughs> and that doesn't correlate usually, but my engineering background and engineering mind was very inquisitive about, you know, materials and how skis flex and all this. And I bugged a bunch of people all over the U- U.S. about how skis work and, and, you know, just from my bad races and like, oh, I use this ski and it wasn't as good as this other ski. So, and then there's just some skis that are just terrible. Like they're always bad and some skis are great all the time and they're always great. So we... I've just always been inquisitive about that, and uh, and uh, just from my own racing, I kind of was able to figure out how to test and fit and flex skis, and and we've brought some science into that equation over the 
So we have a couple of unique flex testers that we've put together at the store that help us, you know, apply the scientific method to ski fitting. And so that's kind of unique to us. And, and, uh, we're not, I'm not a huge fan of smoke and mirrors. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of the scientific method. So, um, but that, that's kind of my background, um, in skiing as I, it was in my hobby. And then I, you know, during the recession of 08, 09, I was let go from, uh, the engineering company I worked at and got involved in the ski industry part-time and just kind of got stuck in the industry. And it's, a uh, it's, uh, it's super fun. So now I've been a small business owner since, uh, uh, 2016 and shop's grown a ton and we do a bunch of ski picking and fitting and waxing and, and, uh, and it's, uh, it's been going really well and, uh, it's been helpful that we have a good snow winter in the Midwest this year. Yeah, it's probably also always liquid gold that you see falling from the sky when uh, you get people coming in. And I was talking to Ben Pop recently on a recent podcast, and he said it's been the busiest year they've ever had up in Berkeleyland, not just because of the snow, but because the mild weather has been that meant that there haven't been 10 blow days when people just don't go skiing. Oh, yeah. No, it's uh, every day is been great i think we've been skiing on natural snow since december 1st in the twin cities without a break really and that's super rare and before that we were on artificial snow starting on november 13th so extremely long season um some of my staff i think is getting a little a little burnt out right now because <laughs> we've been we've been you know full throttle since this fall really without really any reprieve usually if you get a cold snap for a long time the shop gets a little quieter if it rains and you lose all the natural snow it kind of slows down but we it's been kind of full gas all winter which is super exciting and yeah i know the lots of people have been going up to the berkey trail you know midday trips and weekend trips so it's it's been great it's been a great ski year i i refer to this as the unicorn winter now, do you get people coming into the shop around this time saying, I got to get a new pair of skis for the Berkey, or do most people have their fleet picked out already? Uh, I would say the majority of people have all their fleet picked out. You know, the people that hit me up in the summer to pick their skis when I was over in Europe doing all the ski picking trips. But there are a few people, though, that, you know, as they have raced, they've kind of adjusted their goals upward maybe a little bit and like hey you know i i really wasn't into this but i've done some racing and it's gone well and oh last weekend i did a race and my skis are really bad compared to my buddies and i want something of you know i'm gonna have a good berkey i want to move up a wave or two and and i want you to look at my skis and you know maybe get something different um so we are still selling skis to to people that want to improve their their ski before the the big race and we still have good stuff i'm we're seeing a lot of people buying skin skis is like well if it's really icy or wet and i don't want to deal with clister i can just take a skin uh, race skin ski because they've advanced a lot and then we're seeing a few people with skate stuff that like you know this it was kind of a eye-opening for a lot of people on sunday when the city lakes lope had happened and we finished it was 45 degrees and new wet snow so if you only had a cold ski with a cold grind your skis literally and figuratively sucked if you think about what you can control on a ski race, sort of the big four are fitness, ski choice, grind and structure, and wax. Well, with two weeks to go before the Berkey, fitness is sort of baked in. So how would you differentiate between the other three equipment decisions? That order of importance, you know, I'd like to say, oh yeah, the wax makes all the biggest difference in the world, but um, it can help. And generally on race day, the order of importance is ski flex or yeah ski flex then structure then wax but there are rare times where a certain wax is working so incredibly well you can throw it on pretty much any ski and it just is instantaneously better as long as the structure is within 
an order of magnitude in the right direction, right? So it, you know, there, there are days, and then there's times where it doesn't matter what ski or wax, as long as you have this certain structure on there, it just goes. Uh, that's, that's pretty rare. Most of the time I just try to get, uh, you know, get a high quality ski with a really quality grind, simple quality grind for either cold snow or universal snow and add hand structure as needed. And then if you can get the, um, the wax mostly correct, you're going to have a, you're going to have a really, really good day. So, uh, Last year at the Berkey, it was one of those funky new snow, but it warmed up and glazed type of days where the wax did make a really big difference. We had pretty much 100% customer satisfaction, and it was not just satisfied. They were ecstatic with their skis um, because it was kind of a wax a wax day. If you hit the wax right, it made a huge, huge difference. Um, so... And uh, the wax we ended up using the day before and testing was actually number eight on our, we tested eight different powders and it tested number eight. Uh, so at the very back and, uh, but the temps were going to change a fair amount. And my dad's a meteorologist uh, and has uh, helped develop a lot of the weather models and all that good stuff, I think. So he's, he's, uh, he's into it, reading that stuff. So I'm like, dad, is this, is it really going to warm up this much? You know, what's going to happen? And he was very, very confident we we're going to get, you know, cloud cover overnight was going to prevent us from dropping temps and that cold sharp snow is going to warm up uh, pretty drastically with a little bit of new stuff on top so we ended up pulling the trigger on a wax that was the worst in our test the day before because we felt very confident that the conditions were going to be very good for it and it was we had with i you know not to brag but i think we had the best skis of all the different services out there last year and uh, a lot of people expect us to do that again this year. So <laughs> the bar is, the bar has been high. I mean, that's not our intent really is to, is, is to make the very best skis in the field, but it, it, uh, I mean, we're always achieving that, but I just want to get really good wax on the ski. That's not going to get in the way of, of someone having a, having a good performance at the Berkey. We're not going to use any high liability, liability solutions and try to shoot for the moon. If there's a, a, a risk there, we're just want to, put the ball over the plate and have, uh, have the person have a good day. And uh, one of the reasons I wanted to have you talk is that there's a lot of, been a lot of talk about wax the last, um, the last year at least or so, especially with fluoros being harder to come by, fluoro bands uh, being put in place for some races, not the Berkey yet, but it's quite possible that that might happen in the next year or two. So what are you seeing as someone in the industry and who's doing a lot of this testing and uh, putting out a lot of these skis and has, has a race wax service, what do you see as sort of coming down the pike for this year? How, are, how has it changed things, and what do you think is going to happen up in the future? Yeah, I'm, you know, FIS uh, kind of had a, I don't think it was a solid in um, move to put floral band in. It's been, it's been pitched, but it hasn't been uh, ratified, I guess, or voted in. I think they're going to do that this summer. Uh, likely, I think it's not going to go through as, um, enforced for next winter i think they're going to probably roll it back a year or two um there was uh there's a couple wax companies that maybe colluded to push it early because their product lines were ready to go floral free so whenever you know whenever you look at why things happen you kind of have to follow the money too a little bit um just in politics and in everything in life um but uh it's that's the way we're moving anyways so whether we like it or not, you know, I, I think it's, I think it's a good move. Obviously we want to be environmentally conscious. Um, it, it, I don't know the timeline, but I, 
I guarantee you that more and more races are going to move towards floral free and and at the junior level they did because of you know cost and you know fairness maybe that's it's really not it really wasn't uh you know that maybe wasn't the the best way to do it because a lot of the top end race skis have florals baked into the bases so a kid that's got a midline ski with no florals in his base is going to be at a huge disadvantage compared to a a a kid that uh has a has a race ski that has you know a bunch of florals baked into the base material of that ski so the other the other issue with the florals is um enforcement so at the world cup level how do you make sure that there's a level playing field and they can barely do that on a you know performance enhancing substance type of a thing and now we gotta police the bases of skis so i i think i think they're gonna move that direction as quickly as they can but i don't think that testing and enforcement is there that they can jump for next year. Um, maybe it's going to happen rapidly, but I also know that in Europe there's a movement to ban all floral carbons from non-essential um, business use, so that would include the ski industry. So so then they're not going to be able to put florals in wax or skis or rain jackets. I mean, the amount of florals that are in textiles and car seats and fast food packaging, I mean, it, you know, plain de-ice, I mean, it's just... It's insane. So the amount of florals coming into the country for ski wax is extremely, extremely, extremely small. But again, it's you know skiers and our principles on environment. Like we should do the right thing because most skiers vote for the environment and and we want to be good stewards of this earth. So it, it's you know we don't want to be using a a substance that's that's not natural or unhealthy. And I know that. EU's come up with, you know, the short chain, so the C4, C6 carbon, or fluorocarbons, and they break down quicker in nature, but there's not a ton of studies on that, on on safety as well, so, but, so the, the EU might just completely ban fluorocarbons, and there's going to be a bunch of big companies with a bunch of smart people looking at uh, replacement chemicals. Um, there's already, there's already floral-free race powders and liquids from from Vaudi and Rex and I know Swix has got some stuff in the pipeline and and Stark came out with some stuff and I actually raced on a non-floral Rex race wax at Nationals this year uh with my top coat and it was extremely fast so there there's going to be development and innovation and and so it's just kind of the next thing up so it's everybody's like hey we're not going to have florals I'm going to save so much money on race race waxing. Some of these new compounds that are coming out that are floral free are actually more expensive than the floral compounds. <laughs> oh, they're going to figure out a way to make money if they can. Yeah, exactly. Well, some of the, the Rex compound is like nanoparticle size. So the, the it's, there's no florals in it, but you know, it'll permeate your skin barrier. So I, I don't know if that's better or worse, right? <laughs> so. Hard to know, but uh, you know, that's, one of the reasons why, if uh, if you're going to be waxing with this stuff, it's, it might be better, and certainly in my opinion, to 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 use a race wax service like you guys have, because at least then whoever's doing the waxing, breathing it in, is buying one of those expensive masks that actually might block some of those from going into your lungs the night before the race, or really at any time. Yeah, no, that, that's exactly what, right, and that's why like the Norwegian wax techs and and Italian wax techs, they're really nervous on this new compound structures coming out because they don't know the chemical compounds that are coming out so fast and they're very they're very they're very comfortable fluorocarbons because they have all the mitigation um in place so they know how to deal with it and mitigate the risk and 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 not expose themselves and now with this new structures coming out they don't know what it is so that it's making making people nervous but um 
our team at the shop, I mean, we're using full face respirators and, and gloves and aprons and we are, we're, we're, we're mitigating the risk and we're doing it in a ventilated area in our garage. So we're, you know, we're, we're set up to do it properly and we know how to apply the wax properly. Most people that buy florals and put them on themselves, they don't even put them on right. So they're not even getting the benefit <laughs> is what we've seen. Yeah, it's a, it's a, the temperature of uh, iron and the rate that you move it, and it gets pretty confusing. Everyone sort of has their their old wives' tale about exactly what you need to do, but I, I feel like it's always good, especially if you're going to be putting that much of product on your ski, that much of a cost of product. You might as well well do it right. Now, when you're testing this year, are you gonna do you think you're going to be testing? I guess it all depends on the temperature. You're going to be testing fluoros, no fluoros, sort of all of the above. Does this make your job harder because there's more product on the market? It does. Yeah. So we're going to be testing like older stuff and newer stuff. And we've had a few customers that asked us that they would, you know, they wanted us to, to perform a race wax service for the Berkey with, uh, you know, a, they just want to be floral free. So we are going to be kind of trying to offer that too. So it, it, it's going to make more work on our side to test all the new stuff and the old stuff. And, and, uh, and the warmer it gets, the more likely florals are probably going to be in the, in the, in the marketplace to work and the colder it is like yet yeah, you're not gonna if it's minus 10 at the start of the Berkey we're not really gonna we're not gonna be able to win on florals or it, it's gonna florals be very aren't simple. gonna do so any the, good yeah yeah so the 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 warmer it gets the more complex it gets and the if and then it's even worse if it gets like new snow and it's warm that's uh then you need the structure right you need the right ski it, it's a it's kind of a recipe to to miss badly on skis um it should be if the Berkey's minus 10 at the start and the finish is 5 degrees above, <laughs> like we're going to make pretty competitive skis for everybody. Yeah, we're we're all in the same boat, right? <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um yeah. so but if you know, if it's 28 degrees at the start and snowing and it's going to be continually snowing and 34 degrees at the finish, like that's going to be that's going to be a nightmare, right? <laughs> so we we the court of open the day before transforms the snow differently on that part of the course, so you sort of have to plan for that as well. It does, you know, so we've noticed that there's been, it usually hasn't been that big of a shift from the first half to the second half when the races have been on the same days, but we are definitely seeing a lot different snow on the second half of the course now that you have a, you know, thousands of skiers uh, smashing that in, right? So all the air comes out of that second half, and so we're trying to you know, trying to get good skis. And most of our customers last year were just, they thought our skis were, were, were good up to double O. And then the last 30 K of the race, they said they were literally lights out. They had to avoid people like pinballs, you know, just trying to not run into people cause they are carrying so much speed. So we, we generally try to have better skis in the second half of the race when you start getting tired, right? People want to, we're, we're doing a, we're doing a sponsorship thing where if people want to use your wax service and they listen to this podcast, they can go to pioneerredwest.com, sign up, use the promo code podcast and get $5 off to get what were the last, the best skis last year from what I hear. Um, I uh, get them this year. So then thanks for that. That's a uh, cool. Hey, if you're people listening, um, have people tell me they listen to the podcast? I have no idea, but we're doing this to see if anyone actually does and, and is interested in the service. And because Matt has a really good ski service, you should sign up for. So check it out. Finally, I guess I have two questions. One is how is your Berkey training uh, coming, and then I guess the other question is what is Weather Dad's uh, what is his prognostication a couple weeks out for the race? Yeah, so um, we're, my my training is definitely not quite 
as stout as it was last year, but it's not bad. So I've been coming around. Um, had a few more beers this fall and and uh, didn't train quite as much. Just been really busy at the store and the kids keep getting bigger, so I'm not training nearly as much as I used to. But uh, I know long-term forecast was, um, you know, we're pretty mild for the next uh, week, to one to two weeks out. And then there was kind of hints at maybe a polar vortex coming in after this kind of mild period but uh it's still kind of it's still kind of too far out when you when you forecast out farther than 10 days you're re relying on um uh, weather data from the other side of the world and uh a lot of russian weather stations won't update their their temp or pressure and all that good stuff so you're getting data fed into the models that's that's stagnant so it it's hard to it's hard to tell. Sometimes they do a good job of launching weather balloons and updating info, and then the models get more accurate farther out than that. But uh, yeah, it's uh it's still a little bit we're still a little bit out of that range of having any confidence. So probably somewhere between minus ten and fifty. Yeah, so you can't start picking any waxes yet. <laughs> no, not quite yet. We'll start. Well, because we need to get a wax order for the boot. We're working with uh, Rex and Start um, this year, and, and we like both of those waxes. They're Finnish brands. They work well in the Midwest, uh, really well, actually. And we need to kind of get orders in and, and get wax in to sell at the Berkey, too. And we need to start solidifying those orders probably middle of next week, and we'll be kind of a 10-day period out, and we'll probably have a little better idea of what's going to happen. But I've done this when I was, you know, working at other shops, too, and... Uh, you know, you look at the 10-day forecast, you're like, it's going to be green, it's going to be green-blue, and you bring a ton of that in, and then race day, it's like, nope, we, we ran out of clister. So <laughs> it's, it's, still, it's, it's still kind of shooting in the dark before, before seven days out. Yeah, it's amazing what we can do with technology, but we can't control the weather yet. No, not yet. Thanks very much, Matt, for coming on. Um, we'll see you up at the race. I assume you're racing this year as well as running the shop and selling wax and waxing skis. Uh, have a good race. I guess I'll see you near the start line and, and then maybe after the finish and hope you're up at the top with those fast guys again. And if you don't get hit by a, a, a snowplow, maybe you can hang on this year. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate that. We'll look forward to seeing you. All right. Great. Have a good, uh, have a good couple weeks before the Berkey. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Matt. And remember, go to Pioneer Midwest at pioneermidwest.com, enter the code podcast, and save on their race wax service. As we head towards race day, we've mentioned this before, but we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we're going to be asking people to submit recordings they make of themselves and their friends. We're going to try to put some summer episodes together. So stay tuned to the podcast. We will talk more about that in the next week or so, uh, also on the website berkeyguide.com. Our music is by Blue Dot Sessions. It's from the Free Music Archive. Uh, always indebted, as usual, to Sam Evans-Brown, who I don't think is skiing the Berkey this year. because, And that's good, because he would be ahead of me and bump me down by a spot. And if I finished 200 first, I would be angry at him. So thanks, thanks Sam, as always, for uh, helping produce the podcast and teaching me everything I know 
um, about what I'm doing here and what I'm probably doing wrong. Thanks for listening. And if you want to spread the Berkey fever, tell your friends to listen to this podcast and we'll see you in a couple weeks in Hayward.